Well, good morning. That was as warm as the weather. That was fantastic. Thanks, guys. Make me feel especially welcome. We are in a series in the book of Ephesians, which is one of Paul's letters in the New Testament, and we're going to dive straight in there. The words are going to be on the screen behind me. We have had one or two people say to us that it's time to get the big screen working again. This hipster kind of setup isn't quite working out. There's nothing hipster about this. We're just waiting for our projector to be fixed. Okay, so we... We hope for the next month or two that that'll be fixed and we'll have a main screen back. This is just a temporary measure. One or two people thought we were actually intentionally using this because it's like more cool and quirky, but that's not the case at all. Anyway, Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 9. Ephesians 6, 1 to 9. If you've got a Bible, open it up. If not, I'll read it, and it'll be on the screen behind me. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Should we just pause there? This isn't really for us. This is for our children. Should we get the children back and just give them a a bit of a lecture for the next 20 minutes? Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. I want to, by way of introduction, suggest that the way we handle these passages is often as important as the theological conclusions we draw. The last few weeks we've had a few contentious passages, actually, and I think it's really important we consider how do we handle these discussions, how do we handle these theological issues and debates. And I think we need to aim for conviction and kindness. And what I mean by that is that we need to have convictions. We need to have truth that we stand on. We need to build our lives on Jesus. We need to look to the word and be shaped by his truth. And that is important. We have conviction we build our life on. I was just reflecting on it this week that when we come to God's word, if we're just here to be affirmed as stuff we already know, then it's a fairly pointless exercise. We need to be open to being corrected and taught and challenged by God's word. We need to have conviction desperately desiring to know what is God's word for us, what is the truth that he wants to, through his spirit, teach us and convict us of. Equally, we need to handle these passages with kindness. Galatians 5, the fruit of the spirit, says that we are to be faithful, self-controlled, patient, good, goodness, gentleness, joy, peace, love and kindness. Is that how people would describe you as you interact with them, as we discuss these discussions and dialogues? Yesterday was World Kindness Day. You may not have known that, but I think it's a challenge to us as Christians to be handling these contentious discussions with kindness. Actually, I think there's going to be more of this in society as we journey forward. There's going to be more challenges in our church and wider society. But how do we handle theological matters and discussions with conviction and kindness? Because my guess is few of us get this right. Many of us have strong convictions, but can often lack grace and kindness in how we handle these thoughts and reflections. Equally, we can have grace and kindness, but struggle to build our lives on the truth of Scripture at times, worried to put our nails to the mast, as it were. Somehow, we need to handle both with conviction and kindness. 
Jim Graham was my mentor, who's a Baptist minister. I mention him pretty much every hour, and no, no apologies there, a remarkable man. But I never forget when you used to go to his office, he had this incredible ability to challenge you, to correct you, to rebuke you at times. But you also came out of his office feeling a million dollars, feeling on top of the world, feeling encouraged. How we handle these discussions as we come into today's passage around slavery, we have to recognize we want conviction of what is God saying in his truth, but also how are we kind and compassionate and gracious as we discuss this, as we journey towards understanding what God wants to say to us this morning. And as we look at this passage today, it's right to ask us, why doesn't Paul overtly speak against slavery? He doesn't condone it, but equally he doesn't condemn it. And it's chilling to know that this passage was actually used by the southern states of the USA to justify slavery, to stand for slavery. So why didn't Paul emancipate the slaves? Why didn't he tell the slaves to rise up and respond? Why didn't Paul speak against it? Perhaps it's because the majority of the workforce were slaves. There were 60,000, the majority of the Roman Empire at this time were slaves. And the workforce would have collapsed overnight if he'd stopped it. Perhaps it's because at this time the political perspective of Christians was so weak and it was so insubstantial by the comparison of the other political opinions that actually it felt pointless trying to challenge or compete with it. We also need to understand the culture a little. Throughout history there's been different types of slavery. I'm not saying that any slavery is okay, but we need to understand that the way the African-American slavery was, was different to Roman slavery, which we're looking at today, which was different to the Greek, which was different to the Hebrew. There was different levels and types of slavery. And at this time, Paul is speaking to a culture where society had slaves in every sector of society, from doctors and nurses who would be slaves, also gladiators. And some of these slaves were treated horrendously, eyes gouged out, teeth taken out, killed, fed to wild animals. But in most situations, a situation Paul is speaking to, slaves had rights and they could take their slave owners to court. They were there for 15 years and then freed. It wasn't race-based like we have seen in recent history. They weren't kidnapped, they were actually largely treated well. I want to say that as an introduction because it's important we look at passages like this and I want to share some teaching what I think God wants to share with us and encourage us with this morning, but we have to look at the fact that there's not an active opposition to slavery in this passage. And all that said, we need to say a few things. Firstly, the fact that Paul was speaking to slaves at all, addressing them first, was hugely countercultural. To speak to them first and then to speak to them before the slave masters was hugely countercultural. Paul thought it was wrong. He spoke against it elsewhere in Scripture. And I can say categorically that we think it's wrong. I'm sure that's obvious to us. But we do need to say when we look at passages like this that we believe all are created in the image of God and that slavery is a wrong, it's an evil that we need to fight against. And I use the word fight because we need to fight injustice, actively go against it. We need to recognize that we have an opportunity and responsibility to speak up for the voiceless, to take on the infrastructures that are evil and wrong. We need to share our care and compassion to those who need it and marginalized. We've heard in recent years that there's more slaves in the world than ever before. Some statistics say that one in four car washes in the UK are run by slaves. I'm not sure that's true, but that's what some of the research says. 
we obviously think about climate change and the effect on those who are struggling with injustice through that and are marginalized because of that. And we need to do what we can to fight against this. In a couple of weeks' time, we've got IGM Freedom Sunday where we're going to do what we can to pray for, to encourage one another and to actively fight against injustice and slavery. We need to respond to this and we have a responsibility to do that. I want to share a few other thoughts, but I do want to just pause and pray right now as we think about this contentious and rightly wrong injustice that we need to oppose. Let me just pray for us. Lord, we just pray that as a church, not just here, but across the UK, we would know how we should respond, how we should challenge the evil infrastructures of slavery. Forgive us where we've turned the eye or overlooked things or not responded or not spoken up. Holy Spirit, would we be a church who fight for those without a voice, who stand up for the lost and oppressed, who do what they can to help those who are marginalized in our city. Holy Spirit, would we see the infrastructures of injustice pushed back and broken down, where we see that all understand their security and identity and longing in Jesus. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. It's important we do that when we look at a passage like this because we have to recognize that it's a different context and there's some evils that we need to speak against. So whilst Paul is not condoning the slavery, he is speaking about how these folk should interact and relate to one another in this corrupt society. Until Jesus returns, there will be corruption and injustice. And we need to read this teaching as practical and applied theology. It's meant to be about how we live in these settings. How do we respond? How is Paul teaching the church in Ephesus to relate to one another, to love one another, to journey with one another in this society? And we're called to live a different way. We're instructed by Paul to serve with the sincerity of the heart. It's all about our heart attitude. It's all about our heart before God, to have right and clear consciences before God. Our integrity matters. He's saying to them that you need to serve others as if you are serving Jesus. And verse 7 says, as if you are serving Jesus. But the original Greek says, as you are serving Jesus. It's one and the same. Our activity, our work, our different things we're involved in, we are serving Jesus through how we relate to one another, through how we honor one another, through how we reflect God's glory in most contexts. Tim Keller talks about the fact this gives our work purpose and helps us understand that we have a purpose and calling in our activity to serve Jesus. And he says it stops us overworking and it stops us underworking. He says, because as we're serving Jesus, we recognize our identity and our value and our security is in him. So we don't need to prove ourselves. We don't need to overwork. But it also stops us underworking because we're called in this passage to serve wholeheartedly, to give everything that we're asked to do. So when the boss isn't looking, we're not clocking out extra hours. We're doing what we can to honor God. And he teaches in this passage to serve with respect and fear as though we are serving Christ. In your studies, in your work, with your friendships and relationships at the school gates, we're called to honor God, to reflect Jesus, our relationship with him, in how we serve and love others and respond to one another. I used to do a lot of stuff with Christians in Sport, and Christians in Sport is an organization where from amateur level right through to professional level, they want Christians to honor God in the sports and to represent him. And what happens is, 
they're encouraging you to have an audience of one. They used to ask for you to wear this blue wristband that said audience of one. And what they're saying is the way you relate to your coach or the referee or your opponents, the way you interact with the fans or whatever it is, is before God. We're an audience of one. In everything we do this week, we're serving as if we're serving Jesus. We're honoring him which means we don't get an extra 20 minutes lunch break because a boss isn't looking, because he is watching us. We don't gossip about other students on our course because we're accountable to God. We are serving Jesus in our work and in our activity. And one of the things that Paul is keen to stress is how we live and love and serve Jesus affects our relationship with one another. We've said it a few times, but the book to Ephesians is often referred to as the gospel of the church. This means that our relationship with God, our heart attitude, affects how we relate to one another. Our vertical relationship with God affects how we relate to one another. And Paul has spent a few chapters in this book talking about the fact that Jesus lived, died, and rose again for each and every one of us. And because he has a relationship with us, it affects how we serve others, how we interact with one another. And it's spoken into a context of house churches. Church is about 50 people. It was a circular letter, and these house churches had extended families and servants and slave masters we've read about, friends all coming around these contexts. And he's keen to teach them how to live, how to love one another, how to serve one another in this community, in these house churches. I was thinking about this as I was preparing, how surely as a church who want to be a family of communities, our desire is that our communities are so just magnetic in terms of how they are operating, operating, how we're loving one another, how we're caring for one another, that people just want to be part of it. They look at us and see a different way of living, us forgiving one another, us honoring one another, us loving one another, us caring for one another. Paul is keen that we model to the world around us how to honor one another and care for one another, and that our relationship with God affects how we relate to one another. And he says in this passage, there's no favoritism because we honor one another. We are all created in God's image. He challenges slaves to respect their masters and masters to respect their slaves. So in the eyes of God, whether you're a CEO or unemployed, you're one and the same. You're equal in the eyes of God. Do you respect your boss in the same way that you respect the man or lady at the checkout? Do you respect those in senior government in the same way as your friends and colleagues? That's probably not a particularly helpful question because I'm not sure we all respect our government, but that's an aside. But how do we honor one another? How do we not show favoritism? How do we love each other? How does our relationships with others reflect the kingdom values? I used to work at Sainsbury's. Adele told me not to mention the supermarket. I have, sorry. If you've got shares in Sainsbury's, forgive me. Um, and in this particular store, I'm not saying this was every Sainsbury's supermarket before, kind of you have a rampage around Sainsbury's being an evil employer, and they're not. There was this situation where I was a middle manager, and the senior management in this particular store would grab you and take you to their office, and you'd sit down and they'd shout at you and say, Harding, I don't know why they called me by my surname, but they did. Your sales are not good enough this month. Your stocks are too low, and your wastage is way too high. They'd shout at you. Your fruit and veg sales are awful. I used to walk out thinking, chill out. We're talking about cabbage and cauliflowers. Like, relax. They'd be getting red, you know, red-faced around this kind of sales and all that we'd seen in Sainsbury's in terms of stock levels. 
And what I'd do is I'd encourage you to then go to your teams and shout at them again and say, why are you not getting the sales? Why are you not working harder? Why are you not doing all you can to reduce stock loss? And what happened, and it won't be a surprise for you to hear, is that where managers did do that, staff turnover was incredibly high. People were talking behind one another's back. It was a really toxic environment. I learned pretty quickly that you never get the best out of people by just bellowing at them and shouting at them and blaming them. And that's why Paul in this passage is talking about not exasperating our children because yes, we need to discipline. Yes, we need to honor and challenge at times. But we also need a culture of encouragement and support. People always flourish in an environment of encouragement and positivity. What does it look like for you in your workplace to be providing a time of an encouragement, a culture of encouragement where perhaps everyone else is gossiping and being negative? What does it look like for you to pray for your boss who's been an absolute nightmare to get them a Christmas card, to get them a present at Christmas? Perhaps that's one step too far. What does it mean for us to have a relationship with God that affects how we relate to one another, to show a different way, to show a different worldview, to show a different kingdom? The way we love one another, the way we serve one another, the way we relate to one another matters. We're called to serve Jesus. In the world, of Paul, the world that Paul was speaking to, there was power imbalances, corruption and injustice. In today's society, there's power imbalances, corruption and injustice. And until Jesus returns, I'm sure there'll be power imbalances, corruption and injustice. And we need to do what we can to fight against these, to stand against these, to speak up for voiceless, to show a different way, to actively go against injustices. But I think we also need to show a different way, to live a different lifestyle, to show a different kingdom. I think it's fair to say that in recent months and years, we've seen a leadership vacuum, a leadership crisis. We've seen racism and sexism and other injustices come to the surface. We've seen politicians again and again not lead with integrity and humility and character. And sadly, the church has not been exempt. The church has seen corruption after corruption, abuse scandal after abuse scandal. So what do we do in this time when there's a leadership crisis, when there's a challenge about how do we respond and live in a society that at times is lacking good and godly leaders. What do we do? For many of us, the challenge, if we're honest, is that we put on social media or we tell others about it. We get angry about a certain political party or movement. We can have a society that can easily focus on cancel culture or virtue signaling or gaslighting. We can do what we can to speak out against it, thinking our job is almost done. If we vent our frustration, that is enough. And I fear that perspective can creep into the church. But almost our duty is just to name it and to moan about it and shout about it, but actually not to show a different way. I was chatting to a friend recently who is a lecturer at, at an unnamed university. He's not a Christian, just to be clear. But he was saying how in his institution he had some students who had an exam to complete with 24 hours. And what happened was it was a 12% test. It was just one part of their module and it took 20 or 30 minutes. And the idea was that it'd go online at midday and they'd have 24 hours to take part of his test and respond. And what happened was there was a computer failure. It wasn't his fault, but it was a computer failure. And the students only had 22 hours to do this test. 
So the students on the WhatsApp group that they had, they said, this is an outrage. This is abhorrent. How dare he? They aren't thinking about my rights. They're not thinking about my responsibilities. They're not thinking about my future. And they sent this email to him, this really harsh email. And he got this email and he said, I'm sorry about this. But if you're going to treat me like that, then I'm going to meet you halfway, was his attitude. I know him quite well, and this isn't really the Christian response. But he said, from now on, when you want to contact me, I'll only be available between 12 to 3 on a Wednesday. That's the only time I'm allotted to work with you and to teach you. Anything beyond that, when you ring me on a Friday night, worried about your exam results, worried about the assignment you're in, I'm just going to ignore it and wait till that 12 to 3 slot. The students contacted him with a groveling email and said, we're so sorry, we're so sorry, we didn't realize you overworked, we didn't realize that it was a computer failure. And he said, tough, I'm just going to stick to my 12 to 3 slot. Neither party honored one another, neither respected one another, nobody wins in that situation. How do we respond, how do we show a different way? One of the things that God has taught me in the last few years is that I'm only ever responsible for how I respond. I'm only ever accountable for how I respond. People can treat us in any way. They can send us difficult emails. They can be rude to us. They can treat us badly. But we're only ever responsible for our actions and response. We're only accountable for our behavior. Here's the thing. What does it look like for us to show a different way, to be a different voice in culture, to live in a different way that shows the life of Jesus through how we act and love one another. There's a law in physics, forgive me if you're a physicist or a scientist, called the law of non-resistance. And basically, it's come into social scientists saying that the more we try and fight against a power or a force, what we can actually do unintentionally is add strength to it and add weight to it. And rather than tackling it, we actually add strength to that weight and make give it more strength and velocity. And what they're saying is that sometimes actually your strongest thing is just to simply show a different way. Rather than counteracting a force that's negative, to show a different way. What we see from the letter that Paul wrote is that the early church cared for the poor, looked after the vulnerable, took in children who were abandoned on the streets. And people saw the church that Paul was speaking to show love for one another, liberate one another, care for the most vulnerable in society. And as they saw the church, they wanted to be part of it because they knew they'd be loved and accepted. They saw the Roman Empire start to diminish because the values of the kingdom were different and showed up and rose against it and offered an alternative way. The values of the culture shifted by the early church and the church grew exponentially. What does it look like for us to show a different way in how we love one another, in how we assault and light, how we care for one another, how we live in community? Our world doesn't need more opinions. It needs leaders and disciples who show a different way. Jesus spoke up for the oppressed, absolutely. He challenged the injustices. He cared for the vulnerable. He looked after the most weak in society. Absolutely, we must do that. But when there's such a challenge in our society about leaders not modeling for perhaps a way we'd want them to model, let's show a different way. Where there's a lack of integrity, let's show godliness. Let's not shrink on the sidelines. Let's not run away, but let's show a different way. Let's rise up. Let's show humility when easily in society we can see a rise in narcissism and self-indulgence. 
Let's honour our bosses no matter how badly they treat us. Let's show the world family when easily there can be a lack of just model families out there in terms of what people are looking for, in terms of loving one another and feeling isolated and unloved. What does it look like for us to rise up and show a different way? Yes, we need to speak up against stuff. Yes, we need to challenge infrastructures. Yes, we need to be a voice for those who are marginalised. But I wonder at times our strongest voice is to show a different way to live a compelling lifestyle where people look at us and think, I want to be part of that because the way they love one another, the way they care for one another, the way they challenge one another, the way they forgive one another, I want to be part of that. That is the Christ community. That is the kingdom values of this community. Where do I sign up? Why don't I pray for us as we draw a close? Father, that felt more stick than carrot at times and I pray that we would feel I pray that we would feel just that you've spoken to us this morning I pray that we'd be open to what you want to share to us individually and as a church Holy Spirit would you come and just minister to us now and I want to actually pray this morning for anyone who's just finding work really difficult perhaps they're struggling to find a job I pray that they would know peace and security in you and that you'd open doors for them to find work and purpose but I also just pray for any of us who are really struggling with our bosses, with our colleagues with the work environment where the thought of honouring our boss the thought of honouring our colleagues just feels so foreign, feels so impossible feels so hard I pray that actually this morning we know a supernatural strength to carry on to serve you in those contexts. And Lord, I pray for us as a church, a family of communities. Would we love one another? Would we honour one another? Would we forgive one another? Would we show the world around us what Christ-like community could and should be? And we know that that can only be done through the power of the Spirit. So would you equip us, strengthen us, anoint us afresh? Where it's just so difficult to forgive someone, even in this room who perhaps has hurt us this week, where it's so difficult to love one, someone who just seems impossible to love, so difficult to love, I pray that supernaturally we'd know the grace and love of Jesus in and through us, Lord. Would we rise up in a time where we can easily give up on leadership, where we can easily give up on what it is to follow you in today's society. I pray that we would step up, rise up, and show a different way. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.